0: All right, well listen, I, uh, I know that I have not preached for two Sundays, so if you're new, my name is David Wilson and I'm the pastor here. And if you've been here a couple of weeks, I'm David Wilson, I'm the pastor here. Um, and the interesting thing is that was a Puerto Rico trip that caused the last two, now starting next Sunday I'll be on vacation for a week, so I will also not preach for two weeks, so i'll reintroduce myself to everybody come september probably at some point but at any rate um, in the meantime and in the providence of god pastor sean has laid out laid out this series of studies in second corinthians and over this course of five weeks i'm preaching once and it happens to be today and just so happens it's on giving so if uh, you don't like hearing the preacher talk about money i'm sorry you picked today to be here but uh it's really not difficult. Some pastors really find it difficult to talk about giving because people don't like it when you talk about their money and and uh, churches get a bad rap for always begging for money and, and I'm really glad to be part of a church that doesn't do that. We don't make a thing out of it. One of the advantages of studying through books of the Bible like we do commonly is that when you come across something like this, nobody can say, well, he really just wanted to talk about that. It's just in the list of things, right? And it also keeps us from avoiding things we don't particularly want to talk about uh, because we're just talking as God starts revealing. So, uh, And I know that there have been lots of churches and Christian ministries and so on that have misused funds and there have been all sorts of scandals about stuff like that. Uh, we We are a really open book at Coastal. We have Uh, a lot of safeguards and procedures in place, and I'm really glad to be part of a church that uh, is careful about what we do with the Lord's money. So I'm really happy for that. I want to start this morning by giving you some kind of general statistics about giving and uh, church life. And I realize, even as I start to do this, that terms like when you're talking about giving and you get it from like a website that is dedicated to things like that, the term Christian and the term church and the term charitable become much more general. So I'm not uh, giving any statements about here, uh, but these are curious to me, that in the average congregation, those who tithe make up about 10 to 25 percent of the congregation, that uh, the other 75 to 80 or so percent give something other than a tithe of their income. Secondly, eight out of 10, and this is just a, something to tuck away in your mind as it relates to your personal finances. Eight out of 10 people who give regularly have no credit card debt. Uh, credit card debt can hurt your ability, certainly, to give and to be generous with the Lord. Uh, Thirdly, religious giving, however that can be defined, is down 50% since 1990. Uh, Number four, on average, Christians, and again, I realize that's a pretty broad term in things like this, give about 2.5% of their income. In 2015... People with a salary of less than $20,000 were eight times more likely to give than those with a salary of $75,000 or higher. Six, no surprise to me, but worth mentioning, the more often a person attends church, the more likely they are to give. Well, that just makes sense. The more you're involved in something, the more you see the vision for it and the burden for it, and you're more likely to give. The last one is this. 31% of charitable giving in America takes place in December which says to me that even when we give, we're looking for what we can, what credit we can get for it, right? I mean, we've got to get it in before the 31st so we can get the tax credit, right? We've got to, we got to do these things. So I think there I a... We, I don't think that a biblical view of giving has really gotten itself into the hearts of God's people like I would like to see it. So I'm not at all... Uh, at verse to talking about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to cover two chapters in the next 25 minutes or so, and uh, I think we can do it. We got through it in the first service and got it all covered, so I'm really happy for that. I'm calling it Give Till It Makes You Happy. Uh, a lot of times we hear give till it hurts, right? And, and uh, so I'm going to just take a different attitude today because I think this text takes a little bit of a different attitude, and I want to talk about four things, and we're just obviously going to, to do a, a good bit of summarizing. But I want to start with some thoughts about preparation for giving in your notes there. And this has to do with how you uh, how you approach giving to begin with. Before we start talking about how should we give, I want to talk a little bit from the first part of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians about how we prepare ourselves to give. So let me read the first Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he had started as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also." First thing they did as they prepared was they did it from a heart that was filled with joy. They had the joy of the Lord in their heart. I find that verse fascinating when it says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. How does joy and poverty result in generosity unless it is joy in the Lord? There was something about these people that that had such an incredible joy in the things of God, that even though they faced extreme poverty, even though they had insufficient possessions, they still had an excessive amount of generosity. I find that fascinating. Kenneth Chaffin suggests that as a result of this, we can understand that giving is more a matter of heart than it is circumstances. When we give, it's about what's going on inside of us. Are we experiencing joy? Joyful people want to give, and that leads us to the second thing. In verse 3, they gave, uh, or rather verse 4, they were begging us earnestly. They were eager to give. When we first started up here in Gloucester, uh, it had been a while since I was routinely doing announcements and in front of a congregation, and so... I kind of developed this really bad habit of forgetting the offering and uh, to the point that people were kind of harassing me about it and saying, oh, you forgot again, and so on. And at one point in time, Pastor Sean suggested while he was here to preach that maybe we'll just take it out of my salary for a week. And amazingly, I didn't forget again. But... uh, You know what I didn't find was anybody in the congregation saying, wait, 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 I brought my offering. Don't forget the offering. I want to make sure I get to give today. Because we don't tend to view the offering with eagerness, right? It's not something we always look at and say, man, I can't wait to get to church to give, or I I can't wait to get on my computer and do my online giving. I'm going to have me a little bit of worship. Because that's, that's what it was, right? They, they not only, verse 5 says, they not only did as we expected, but gave themselves first to the Lord. That's worship. So, so giving comes from a heart that's worshiping God. It's an overflow. It's not something I check off. It's not my list of things. Okay, I did my devotions today. I had my prayer time with God today. I made sure I attended church this way. Oh, good, I made sure I gave my offering. We're not, we're not looking to check off a list. A heart... That is, worshiping deeply is one that will give. They gave of themselves to the Lord. We don't give to garner favor from the Lord. It's the overflow of our devotion to the Lord. Fourthly, in preparation for giving, giving is something that is an act of grace. It's the result of the work of grace in the heart of a person. Verses 6 and 7 talk about that. And it's interesting, in verse 7, you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness. You excel in a lot of these things, right? He says, you, you, you excel in all this stuff. And, you know, you start talking about that, people are like, yeah, yeah, I want to excel in faith. I want to be really strong in faith. And I want to be really strong in my knowledge. I want to know the Scriptures really deeply. And, you know, you can get people really on board with that. Until you say, I really want to see you excel in giving. It's like, oh, Really? We don't necessarily want to give as much as we want to know, right? And so I think there's something about the grace of God at work in our hearts that uh, compels our giving. So that's that's, that's just preparation. That's kind of where does our heart need to be if we're going to give faithfully. So then I want to take a few principles from some of these latter verses, or the middle verses, I should say, of this chapter. Verse 8, I say this, Paul tells them, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in in desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness." As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Principles of giving. First of all, the motivation for giving is love. (coughs) I want to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The genuineness of your love is proved by the generosity of your heart. When I love something or someone, I tend to want to give to them. I've mentioned once or twice that I'm a grandpa now and I have a grandson going to be born in December. My wife and I find now that when we go to stores, we're drawn to the baby clothes and the baby stuff because we want to buy stuff for this kid. I got very little in the way of trinkets. Mostly I got coffee in Puerto Rico to give to people, but But for my little grandson going to be born in December, he got a T-shirt because I wanted to make sure I got something because he was, and he's the one I spent the most time trying to find something for because I love that little guy and I haven't even met him yet. What we love, we give to. And a motivation of love will cause us to give faithfully to the work of God through our local church. The genuineness of your love is proved by the generosity of your heart god loved the world so much john three sixteen says what that he did that he gave when we love we give so our giving ought to be a motivation motivated by our love secondly verses 10 and 11 desire is good action is better it's great to talk about how important giving is. It's great to talk about missions trips and the opportunity we have to help people go. I mean, part of our, part of our giving goes just simply to, to these people that we're working with. Part of our giving goes to assist our own members in getting there, right? And part of our giving goes to helping people who are in need all around us. There are lots of ways that our giving actually does things, and it's great to talk about it. It's better to actually give. You started last year, he says, and you really wanted to. You really desired this. It really was important to you. Now finish the task. Make sure you follow through. Finish so your eager desire will be matched by your follow through. Then I want to use a, a phrase that I heard Pastor Sean use some years ago. That's really important, I think, and it's from verses 12 through 15, and it's this. It's not equal giving that we're talking about. It's equal sacrifice. It wasn't that those who were wealthy should actually become poor so the poor could turn around and become wealthy. That's not what he was asking. He was using the example of Christ that helped to provide for us spiritual riches by, in his case, actually becoming poor. He sacrificed so that we could become spiritually wealthy. The point is, those who were wealthy needed to assist those who were not, so nobody ended up being destitute. These verses over in in 1 Timothy chapter 16, I find very interesting because Paul is teaching and challenging the... Uh, Timothy to, to say to his church people, listen, there are people in your church that are wealthy. Being wealthy is great. There's nothing at all wrong with being wealthy. Sometimes I think we we try to make people who have a lot of money feel bad. Oh, no, no, you should feel awful because you make a, a boatload of money. That's really not the way. These verses in 1 uh, uh, Timothy chapter 6, as for the rich in this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, so just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're anything better than someone else. Don't think too highly of yourself. Or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We all know that's a reality in our world. But rather, they should set their hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God gives some people lots of money. The only thing he expects in return is that they will be generous with their lots and that they will give also lots of money. Those, simply put, those who have a lot should give a lot. Nobody expects a person who makes $25,000 a year to give $25,000 a year. If you make $250,000 a year, let's have lunch, <laughs> and you're buying. It's, it, there's nothing wrong with making good money, but God anticipates that we will not give equally, but rather will sacrifice equally. And then it should be regular and it should be systematic. The reason we take an offering every Sunday is not because we didn't get enough the week before. It's because... The pattern and habit of giving regularly becomes an ongoing part of our life. I know lots of people who give online and they give you know once a month or they live on a commission kind of income and so when they get their commission check each month, they give I, I get that. But the point is I think, and this is from first corinthians sixteen two where it says on the first day of the week, I want you to set aside." something and store it up as you may prosper so that he had no big collection. Paul didn't want to come, and this is to the same group of people, the same church, I want you to put money aside every week. And he was talking, of course, about a collection for the the saints that were struggling elsewhere. But the point was, I want you to be in a regular habit of this. Don't just do this when the urge strikes you or whatever. Make it a regular, ongoing, systematic practice. So those are some principles what kind of attitude should we have as we give i think there are three things and now we're going to jump over to chapter nine where paul says it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints for i know of your readiness of which i boast about you to the people of macedonia saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter or so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find you're not ready, we'd be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So in other words, that desire is good, action is better. They had for a year said, we really want to participate in this thing. And Paul said, I want you to start preparing, setting it aside on a regular systematic basis so that... When we come, we don't have to try and catch up and everybody has to all of a sudden say, oh man, I really, I've, I've fallen behind. I really need to give a lot. It was an ongoing thing. But he, he encourages them and applauds them for their willingness, their eagerness. They wanted to give. They were zealous about it. They were so ready to give that their attitude had stirred other people to give. And they were generous. Verse 6 of chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Don't be stingy. Let the amount you give be evidence that you trust God to meet your needs. I don't know why it is... But I know that it's not uncommon that as our income increases, it gets harder and harder to to take a a chunk of that, a a sizable percentage of that, and make sure to continue to give that to the Lord. It seems the more income I have, the more needs I seem to have, right? I get a nicer house, I get a nicer car, whatever it is, and all of a sudden I'm like... Oh, man, that's tough. We're going to come back around to that in a second. So willingness, generosity, and the third attitude that we ought to have is cheerfulness. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our attitude is under our own control. Paul is not suggesting here if you don't really like to give or if you really can't be too cheerful about it, you get a pass. (laughs) He is simply saying God wants you to do it because you want to do it. He wants you to give cheerfully, joyfully. Almost, it's almost a word that has to do with things that are hilarious, like super exciting. I've been uh, on one occasion, I was I was in a church where I saw this happen, and I've, I've heard of it happening in various places where. The offering time was an actual physical act of celebration. There was loud, raucous music and singing, and people were kind of dancing down the aisle. I mean, you know, it wasn't at some of the churches we've all come from, but um, and they were they were dropping their offering in the plate and singing and just carrying on. They were having a party during the offering. We we give announcements during the offering because we, you know, you want to distract people from the fact they're giving money away. No, I'm just kidding, but. Um, <laughs> It's. There should be this sense of cheerfulness. We're giving because we're happy to give. The story is told of two young friends who once made a covenant to tithe of their income every year. The first man tithed $1,000 the year he earned 10, and $10,000 the year he earned 100,000. But the year he earned 250000 he just could not bring himself to write out that check for $25,000 to the church. So he phoned his friend and asked to see him. Walking into his office, he begged to be let out of the covenant, saying, tithing was fine when it was 1000 but I just can't afford $25,000 to give to the church. His friend said nothing, just knelt on the floor and prayed silently for a while. Eventually, the man said, what are you doing? Are you praying that God will let me out of the covenant to tithe? He said... No, I'm praying that your income will go back down so it's only 10 times what you're giving and then you'll be tithing again. Uh, I don't know. if that, I'm pretty sure that's not actually true. But isn't it interesting how it gets to be a struggle? The more we have, the harder it is to say, I want to give a substantive portion of what God has given to me. But what are the results when we give? So let's, let's kind of try and wrap this up. What are the kind of things that are results of our giving? starting in verse 8 of chapter 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's grace is displayed when you give. His grace that's at work in your own heart allowing you to be free from the love of money. It is really the love of money that keeps us from wanting to give generously, right? We, we, we want to we give enough that we don't feel guilty, but not so much that it's going to cause any hindrance on our lifestyle or whatever. It's God's grace is displayed. His grace will abound toward you. He will allow you to reap bountifully. He will supply for you. He will, according to verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And then verse 11 says that'll cause thanksgiving. That's the next one. Thanksgiving will increase. God will give you more so you can give more. First Chronicles 29.9, this is an occasion when David had asked the children of Israel to give, and it says... Uh, when we get to that verse, there was this great sense of rejoicing because the people had given so willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. There was this incredible sense of rejoicing. Look what God has done because his people have been willing to give. Thanksgiving increases third result of giving so grace is displayed thanksgiving will increase there's provision for the work of god it supplies the needs of the saints giving in our day and age functions a little differently we give faithfully to our local church there are expenses in operating a local church, right? It costs money to keep the lights on. It costs money to turn the air conditioning on. It costs money to pay our staff. It costs money to have somebody clean the building. We could could try and get everybody to just kind of volunteer to do all the activities, but there still are things that have to happen. And so we give to the ongoing function of our church, but we also give Because our church is connecting to our community and reaching new people and finding new folks who will be part of the ministry of God's work in the world. We are providing for other people, so we provide for the work of God. And then lastly, our obedience provokes other people to glory, give glory to God. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. So our giving causes God to be glorified because we're giving out of obedience to Christ. We're giving out of obedience to the gospel. The gospel even informs our giving Right? We, we understand the connection between what Jesus has done for us that we could never have accomplished on our own and our willingness to be generous with what God has given to us. So let me just wrap up with a couple of thoughts for you to take home. Nothing of what you have is yours. It's all God's. I've heard it said so many times that it's become almost an axiom for us in giving that we need to give our tithe or, you know, however you teach about that giving. We give our tithe because that's God's portion. That is not true. What we're doing when we give is we are giving a portion of what is God's. It's all God's. Everything I have belongs to God. When I give my tithe, I'm giving a portion of what's his. I'm not just giving him his portion. His isn't restricted to my 10%. His is the 100%. He lets me keep most of it because I have to live and I have things to do. But he asks that I give faithfully and systematically and generously out of what he has given to me to steward. So nothing of what I have is mine. It's all God's. Secondly, John MacArthur has said this, and it's quite a challenging statement, giving is a barometer of spirituality. That's a challenging statement. The more connected I am in my walk with God and my relationship to God, the less I will want to hang on to my money, the more free I will be to give. And then the last is just a statement, a quote of Jesus from Luke chapter 12, where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. There are two things about that statement that are true. One, I can tell what's most important to me by where I spend most of my money. Now, I know there are other things you have to spend money on. Nobody reasonable ever says you should just give it all to God. I mean, you have to pay for your house. You've got to house your family. You've got to buy food for your family. You've got to have a vehicle to get to work and back and forth. I mean, we, we need other things. We have other things we have to spend money on. But we can tell by looking at our life as a whole what is treasured by us because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. So we know where our heart is based on how we spend our money. But secondly, if you want your heart to be more after God, give more money to God because your heart follows your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if I want... To have a heart that really longs for the things of God. I mean, those of you who are interested in the stock market, I know there are people that love that kind of stuff. You watch it, right? You don't watch all of the stock market. What do you watch? You watch the stocks you've invested in, because where your treasure is, that's where you're you're most interested, right? That's a good thing. That's really smart. If you're going to invest in that, you've got to pay attention to it. If I want to have a heart that is after the things of God, giving my money there. Will help my heart be there because my heart will follow my treasure. So I think it's a really good thing. You know, I hate, I hate negative, guilt-ridden challenges for giving. You're not giving enough. What's the matter? Giving is a joyful opportunity to be the overflow of generosity that comes from a heart that's in love with God. What a great thing. What a great attitude to take as we think about money. Listen, I know. I know it costs a lot and I know unless I can tell you uh, we had one of our one of our elders from from Coastal was in our first service pastor Sean actually was here as well and uh, I can tell you and I I've, I've told you before when I'm back in Yorktown and we're talking about the Gloucester campus we are giving more than they budgeted for us to give. Now, they didn't budget for us to meet our entire expenses up here, so I'm not suggesting we're giving too much so we can back off. <laughs> simply, simply saying, your faithfulness and your generosity has caused rejoicing on the part of our leadership at Coastal. You have, you have allowed them, you have given beyond what they expected. You guys are doing what. Paul talked about here in 2 Corinthians, and I am so incredibly grateful for that. So I'm not here to kind of dump on coastal Gloucester and say we're just not doing the job. I'm saying we got to keep this up. And we've talked before, I've mentioned it before, you're going to hear more about it in the, in the weeks to come and months that we need a permanent home here, and so we are likely going to be coming to our church family to ask about borrowing some money, but we're also going to be coming and saying, hey, we want to do a fundraiser so we don't have to borrow quite so much and uh, so i'm going to be asking for more that's <laughs> just how it is and it's but it's not because <clears throat> it's not because i think everybody's hanging on to too much it's cuz we want the opportunity to rejoice and celebrate together in what god is doing and what we can see god do when we give generously when you give i mean i 'd encourage you if you give online i, I try i 've tried to discipline myself to do this because I give online every time I get a paycheck first thing I do is sit down I get online I give my tithe and and I try to stop for a second and just talk to the Lord and thank Him for the 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 gift it is that I have a solid, steady job that I can give to to worship Him because I have the opportunity to give take at the time because we don 't in our day and age, we do it differently, right? We don't all give when the basket comes by, but it ought to always be an act of worship, an opportunity for us to thank God for the privilege and the joy of giving. So I hope you'll do that. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what God's gonna do as we do that together, right? All right, so Nate and Amy are gonna come back and lead us in a closing song, but I wanna close in prayer before they do that. So let's thank God for this Scripture passage, Lord, I really am thankful. I'm, I'm thankful for a chance to talk about this important grace of giving. Lord, uh, I want to be somebody who excels at the grace of giving. I, I'm, I'm right there with so many other people that, that struggle that we'd, it sure would be nice to, to keep that money that I give. Uh, to my local church and I, I could use it in some other spots. And so I know, that, I know that sometimes that's a little hard and sometimes it maybe gets a little tight uh, when there's just a little more month left at the end of our money and it, it's, uh, we have to make sacrifices. But Lord, I'm thankful for the privilege of giving. And I thank you for the joy that is mine when I give generously uh, to, to your work Uh, And I recognize, Lord, that there are ways that people give that are beyond financial giving, but this section of your word was about giving finances. So I thank you. I thank you for the privilege of demonstrating our love for you, demonstrating our trust in you, of being generous uh, and reflecting Christ and his generosity in sacrificing so that we could become rich. Lord, I pray that we would follow his example that we would be faithful to you in the use of our finances in general, but that we would excel particularly in this grace of giving. And I'll thank you for what you'll do through it to glorify your own name, for I ask in Christ's name.